So what I would like to go into this morning and offer um, some reflections and some possibilities for working with elements uh, of our emotional life, so elements of emotional work. Uh, I've talked about this a lot in different talks, etc., but some, some of the stuff today... Um, perhaps not so much put put out there. M- me personally, not so much put out there before. So I just want to explore a little bit, particularly around the dynamics of our emotional life and the dynamics of working with emotions. So I actually like to start with a kind of just throwing a kind of I don't know what it would be called an axiom or, or something out there. And saying, actually, that our emotional life is dynamic. Our emotions are dynamic. Uh, there is a dynamism to them. Okay. Uh, what that means is, it's not static. Okay. So maybe that's obvious, but uh, more than that, that our emotions arise and change dependent on lots of factors, lots of things in the mix, lots of uh, conditions, inner and outer, in the mix that that kind of influence and uh, condition the way the whole process unfolds. So because there's all these conditions, so emotional life, emotions are a dependent arising, dependent on all these conditions, and not static. What that means is, if I feel stuck one day, or for much longer, if I feel stuck with a certain emotion, or in a certain emotion, or in a, in a certain emotional kind of uh, circle, what that means is, because inherently we say the emotional life is dynamic, what that means, the stuckness means, is that something, or something, some factors, are actually locking it into place are locking it, constraining it, and keeping it in a certain loop, in a certain stasis. It's probably that we are locked in a certain relationship, or relationships, for example, fear, with what is going on. Uh, probably, as well, or, or, or uh, that there are assumptions and beliefs there uh, that, are, that are helping to kind of lock this... Uh, thing in place. So mostly today I'm talking about difficult emotions and working with difficult emotions, but a lot of what I, apply, what I uh, talk about will also apply to, to lovely emotions. Assumptions and beliefs uh, may be underpinning, often are underpinning the whole thing. They're kind of supporting the whole structure to stay in place and stay relatively static. If this is still part of the axiom I'm throwing out. If the mindfulness can be there and the curiosity and the questioning can be there in a way that feels kind of, that is kind of supple and flexible enough, then those qualities, the, the, the flexibility, the su- suppleness the, of the mindfulness and curiosity and questioning will actually allow the dynamism of the emotion and, and the emotional life to, to re, uh, re-unfold, to reignite. 
to express itself. That dynamic nature can express itself and be revealed. When that is the case, we are no longer stuck and we will feel freedom. We will feel freedom. Uh, We will feel expansion. So naturally, with this natural dynamism, natural dynamic quality, there is freedom. There is an expansion. Uh, Experience tends to open when that's the case. This is, you could say, from one perspective, this is a natural movement of our being, the natural movement of our emotional life. You could say. So it was an opening of, an exp- of the experience of freeing uh, and an expansion. Aliveness and vitality will come in then to the being and the experience and the emotional life. Uh, understandings with that emerge. As the whole thing just a little bit starts shifting, the whole thing starts moving and rolling and unfolding in a different way. And with that, understandings, wholeness, integration, healing. The more it starts moving, the more the healing can come in. Depth. So again, natural, organic, inherent, we could say, part of this unfoldment is an unfoldment also into depth. Depth of experience, depth of understanding. And joy, joy. That's also part of feeling alive, feeling that the dynamism is alive, is it comes with joy. Sometimes even when things are are difficult. Now it's not always that we just look and can kind of open things a little bit and then the joy comes and all these other lovely qualities come immediately. Not, Not at all. But in general, in general, that is the movement when the natural dynamism is unblocked, is allowed. And it may not be in this sitting or even today or whatever. It may be that things start moving and, and they feel more difficult or we see a whole other layer of something more difficult. But generally, that's the, we could say, and use that word, inherent movement of the being. The, the deep movement of the, the, our, our deep psychic course So, that's the axiom. I'm throwing that out there. Maybe you buy it, maybe you don't. But in a way, this talk is premised on that. Maybe it's your experience already, I don't know. So, following that, we, and there's no blame here, we, all of us, at times, we block that dynamism. The stuff that we do, uh, stuff that, actually, stuff that goes on inside us that blocks... That, that dynamism. So two questions then obviously arise out of that. How? How do we block this? How do we block uh, the unfolding of what can be a beautiful process? And how can we unblock it? So just to say what I've already said, the change, the unfoldment, the, the dynamic nature, and the kind of increasing and decreasing, the, the getting stronger and the getting weaker uh, in our emotional life of different emotions and different aspects, that will depend on things like the qualities that are in and with the attention in the present moment. In other words, we can pay attention, I'm going to go into this, we can pay attention in a lot of different ways. Incredible range, incredible subtlety there. Those qualities of attention are a major factor in in what unfolds for us and and what gets more, what gets less, how it changes, how it unfolds. The quality of attention, the meanings that we give. 
we are always giving meaning to, to our experience, even when we don't realize it, even when we think we give no meaning at all. Or oftentimes we give very, very strong meanings to uh, the presence of an emotion, etc. The meanings we give, the associations, perhaps via the story, via the past, the views that we have, the perspectives, the beliefs, etc. The beautiful thing is, the beautiful thing is that we can actually be flexible with all that stuff. We can be flexible with our views, with our associations, with the meanings, with the qualities of attention, with the views, all of that. We actually can be flexible with that. And in exercising that flexibility, we can unlock some of that dynamism quite deeply. So reflecting on this, I want to offer eight principles, eight principles of working in in this area uh, to unlock the dynamism uh, with a lot of examples so it doesn't, I don't want it to be abstract. Um, Eight principles, that's a lot uh, and may not get, this may turn out to be two talks, it may turn out to be a series of talks and if it does I don't know when the others will come. Um, Let's see what we get to today. Uh, eight principles by no means is an exhaustive list either. It's just kind of what, what's being offered right now. But they feel important. So just to list them right off. And I'll explain what they mean because I'm using them in quite particular ways. Uh, the first one is something I would call differentiation. I'll, I'll explain what that means. Uh, the second one is a sustaining of focus. Okay. Uh, the third one is a broadening of the mindfulness, a broadening of the awareness. The fourth one is questioning, and particularly questioning our assumptions. Uh, The fifth one is exploring different aspects of what's going on more fully, uh, what's being revealed more fully. The fifth one is resourcing. I missed one. Sorry. The second one is no. Let's see. Differentiation. Who's writing? Yeah. Check me. Okay. <laughs> Differentiation number one. Yeah. Learning sustained focus number two. Yeah. Broadening awareness number three. Mm-hmm. Questioning assumptions number four. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. Five is explore. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Good. Explore as- different aspects more fully. Fifth. Sixth. Excuse me. Sixth, yeah, is resourcing. Okay, and I'll I'll explain in detail what I mean by this. There's different ways of resourcing. The seventh is using the story skillfully. Uh, And the eighth is about flexibility and different ways of exercising our flexibility. Flexibility of relationship, flexibility of view. No idea what we'll get to today. It depends uh, on me as as much as on you. So um, let's start. The reason I make principles, the reason we put principles out there is because, and this is so important, it's like, you know, sometimes in the example I say, and I was working with some, someone and, and this happened and that happened, and sometimes we can feel like, oh, I need someone to help me through this, I need someone to guide me, it can feel like with difficult emotions, I always need someone to help me. And that's so important, you know, the sanghas here, teachers are here, therapists are here, etc. But at some point I want to be able to do it on my own. 
I want to have absorbed the principles and, and developed the skills in the ways of working. It's so, so important. And yet I don't want it to remain abstract. Okay, so some of these principles have to do with a larger principle, which has to do, it's hard to just put it into words, but it has to do with this. The energy of the attentiveness has to be greater than the energy of the emotion. Okay? The energy of the attention has to be greater than the energy of the emotion. What do I mean by that? It sounds like a engineering or something. But uh, When we have a difficult emotion going on, it, a lot of our psychic energy is actually wrapped up in that. You can see it when there's a lot of turmoil. It's just going round and round and all this stuff and the heat and all the... the this. But also when we're contracted, it takes a lot of energy to, to stay in contraction. Actually, funnily enough, it takes a lot of energy to be really depressed. The energy has got locked deeply in there in some way. So we have a certain amount of energy available to us as human beings, a certain amount of psychic energy, a certain amount of physical energy, they, they influence each other. If most of it is wrapped up in, in the, in the, in the uh, structure of the emotion, it's not in the attentiveness. But if it can find its way, if I can help it, the energy, if I can help to energize the attentiveness, this starts happening. One side of the, what's it called, a lock, you know, the water thingy, one, that goes down and the other one comes up. As the energy with the attentiveness gets stronger, it takes the energy that's wrapped up unhelpfully in the difficult emotion. It, it leaches it out and it goes into the energy of the attention. Uh, and that, that works together. Okay. When there's less energy in the difficult emotion, it's less of a problem. It's less afflictive, I'm less under its thumb, I'm less uh, oppressed by it. I have more space, I have more clarity, I have more freedom, more degrees of freedom to move, etc., etc. And the whole process just starts moving more and more like that. So some of these principles are really wrapped up in, in helping to get more attention and more energy in the attention. So this first one, I'm calling it differentiation. The other, I don't know, week, some, some time ago, someone was describing to me in an interview, say, when they're practicing, and so easily the comparing mind, the comparing mind comes up. And so often, that, that's so difficult, we, we compare where we think we are with where we think someone else is. And in that, all the criticism, and very quickly... So very quickly, the whole thing um, kind of just caves in on itself. So much oppressed by this uh, comparing mind and everything that goes with it. It happens so quickly, it's not even clear what's going on. And she just shot out and she said, uh, the words shot out and she said, comparing mind comes and then I feel uh, deflated, anguish and collapsed. Just like that. And then she was, you know, naturally enough, uh, could see it happening. See it happening, it just went into a kind of state of, of collapse. So everything just kind of shrinks on itself. There's no, uh, very little in that state, very, very difficult. Our capacity to see clearly, to have space around things, to, to raise energy, it's all just, it's almost like a black hole. The gravitational collapse, just gone in on itself. And there's, there's a kind of defeatedness about the whole sense of experience in life. Defeatedness in that way, it's wrapped up, all the energy is wrapped up like that. 
But that was interesting because she did put out three words, defeated, anguish, and collapse. And I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is it actually possible to see that there are three different parts? You just said three different things there. And in a way, they're different strands. They're different strands of what feels like just one big blob of of, uh, difficult experience, a a, a general collapse. Actually, there's different strands there. Is it possible to notice, and she said it, Notice those strands there and actually go back with the mindfulness and tease out with the mindfulness. Differentiate the different strands. Pay attention to each one. Feel each one, particularly in the body. Body, body, body. I'll keep coming back to this over and over. It's so central to uh, unlocking the dynamism. Uh, body. Feel what each one in the body. Each strand. Explore each one. So this is what I mean by differentiation. Realizing, actually seeing, that what looks like one emotion, one state, is actually more than one. It's more than one. There's more than one thing going on. There's actually more than one emotion going on. So we could use words like um, discernment or discrimination, but both of them have slightly different connotations um, in the Dharma and otherwise. It's fine, but I think you know what I mean. Differentiation. Picking out clearly the strands. There's also kind of differentiation, because if I I stay with one of these strands, I will also see that it it doesn't say stay static anyway. If I look really closely, it actually changes. Its qualities change subtly. And there's also a kind of differentiation in, so to speak, one quality over time. So when we do that, uh, in a way, what I mean by differentiation, uh, there's sensitivity there. There's a real sensitivity of the attentiveness and a kind of precision of the attentiveness. We love, as human beings, we love being sensitive. Something in us loves sensitivity. Sometimes we do a lot of stuff to dull our sensitivity. There's all kinds of tangents to this I don't have time to go into, but sometimes we dull our sensitivity deliberately or in ways that we're not conscious of. But basically, deep down, we love sensitivity. We love being precise in the attention as well. As we do that, as we, as we can bring the sensitivity, the precision, the differentiation in, uh, the, the energy rises. The energy in the attentiveness rises. And as we differentiate different strands, we are less likely to feel overwhelmed by one big, as I say, blob sitting on top of us. The very sort of breaking it down, differentiating it into sub-components, sub-aspects, almost like, ah, I can, I can look at this, and then I can look at this. It's, it's breaking it down into smaller, uh, less overwhelming pieces. Another factor that comes in at that point is interest. Interest. Um, as I bring in the sensitivity and the precision and this differentiation, the whole experience actually starts to become more interesting. Interest is a movement that's the opposite of aversion. This is a difficult experience. We just naturally, normally would want to get rid of it. I just want want to turn it off, turn myself off, turn the awareness off, get it out. But when there's interest, there's naturally, it's the opposite of aversion. Aversion makes things more difficult. We touched on this in the last talk. 
So with the interest, less aversion, and the whole thing becomes easier. If it was just, in this example, just a sense of defeatedness, just a sense of shrinking everything and a kind of collapse, then, then that sense of defeatedness and collapse is l- larger energetically, has more energy in it than the, than the attention. If I, if I uh, don't differentiate in this way. And then there will be a sinking. There will be a feeling of being sunk, of being stuck, and the whole thing feeling static, even if within that stasis there's a lot of turmoil and agitation. It will basically feel like it's just looping around. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is, I would say, learning, and that's a really key word, learning. Learning to sustain our focus on the experience. Now we could use the word concentration there and that's fine. It's just usually in the Dharma when we talk about concentration we immediately think of breath and something and it it has come to mean uh, something specific uh, with a lot of associations. But what would it be to gradually over time learn, develop my ability to really sustain my focus on my emotional experience and perhaps on each strand that I can identify there. Really sustain, keep the attention there, not get distracted so much. Again, if I can do that, and particularly the body is so helpful, what's happening in the body with it? To the degree that I can do that, uh, the energy of the attentiveness will, will get more and more. There's more energy that comes into the attention. Without that energy that comes in the attention, I cannot break free of, of the loops the tight circles that uh, some uh, emotions just go round and round in. It takes energy. It's almost like something needs to come into that little tight circle, that orbit, and just break it out of that. And this, this sustaining the focus is another factor. I cannot do it without energy. So somehow I need to bring energy in. When we talk about concentration, generally in the Dharma, whether it's breath or metta or this that I'm talking about now, in a way, what we're concentrating, in a way, is our energy. We're actually concentrating our energy. That's why when concentration gets deep, you get all these uh, manifestations in the body of a lot of pleasure and energy, because we're concentrating, we're not frittering away our energy. We're not squandering and dissipating our, the energy of our being, our psychic energy, our heart energy, our, our mental energy. So it's a bit like, I know nothing about electronics, but apparently there's something called a capacitor, which does something, it stores energy. It's like the electric current goes and it keeps it there and it gets more and more strong. And that's in a way what we're doing. We're not dissipating the currents of energy. We're letting them collect. And that energy can then be used to, uh, to break something out of its orbit. So like I said, if the energy of attention is higher, then, then it won't be collapsed. It won't be stuck in, in, in that kind of depression, etc. When the energy of the attentiveness is um, greater than the energy of the emotion, greater than the energy of the experience, greater than the energy of the reactivity, the whole experience starts opening. Actually, peace starts coming into the field of the experience. It may even replace what's going on, but it it will certainly begin to come in around what's going on. Peace comes. Confidence comes. 
confidence in relation to what's going on emotionally. Confidence comes, sweetness comes, sweetness comes. When I am not under the heel of this afflictive emotion, I can have something that's difficult and even painful and there can be sweetness with it. And that's a beautiful thing to know as a human being. It's a beautiful thing to have confidence in, to be convinced of. So the allowing of of the manifestation of peace, confidence, sweetness, that already is a, a, a dynamism coming. It already is a kind of dynamic unfolding being allowed. And with that, more and more, it gets more dynamic, more unfolding is is available. So big question is how to raise the energy of the attentiveness. We said differentiation, learning sustained focus, is precision, sensitivity. Sensitivity, by the way, you could also say something like delicacy of attention. The delicacy of attention. What is it to really put the attentiveness on something, in this case we're talking about emotions, but it could be anything, and, and, and have the attention almost be like a feather, just so lightly touching the emotion, so sensitive, so uh, delicate in the way it's feeling out the experience. In that, there, there is sensitivity, and that will un- it will raise the energy, it will bring space, it will unlock this dynamism. But other qualities, and going further on the list, we said the third one, um, broadening the awareness, broadening uh, the awareness of what is going on at the same time. When I first started meditation, that was actually the definition that was given to me, this is 25 years ago, that was actually the definition given to me of mindfulness. So I was learning concentration practices, and... And we said mindfulness means knowing what else is going on. Like concentration is concentration at one point on a certain element of an experience. And the mindfulness is kind of like the background bigger picture. What else is there? And that, there are actually, interestingly, many meanings, uh, uses of the word mindfulness. But that one is, is as valid as any other, and I found it very helpful. So you could call it mindfulness, this third one. You could call it the... Um, breadth of attention. And we also said questioning, which is the fourth. Someone else was saying the other day, you know, when there's, when there's not a crisis going on, when there's not a strong difficulty going on, when there's not much going on emotionally, it's actually very difficult, they were saying, it's very difficult for my mind to stay there, for, to stay interested, to not just drift off. I just lose interest. And I thought, that's interesting. Why, why is that? Is it boredom that's coming in? Is it that we assume that we're not worthy of attention in some way? Or that the experience isn't worthy in some way? Is it somehow not good enough if there's no crisis going on? And this person actually said, you know, reflecting on the why, it's like, you know, perhaps it was that I didn't get good attention when I was very young, except when there was a problem, when there was a crisis. Maybe that's true. You know, maybe some of the roots here are really quite young in the family dynamic. Also reflecting this person, you know, I'm also a natural extrovert. My attention naturally uh, goes outside. Introverts naturally goes inside. Fine. Maybe, Maybe that's true. But I need to ask, I need to look deeper. 
in a, in a more wide way, in a more careful way, what's going on there? When those qualities that I've already mentioned, the uh, sustaining the focus, the differentiation, the sensitivity, the precision, etc., and this breadth and the questioning are there, uh, when that's there, um, including, I'll throw this out as well, including a kind of noticing of the dynamism that comes as I'm looking at something. In other words, and this goes back to the last talk, the looking itself is never a neutral factor. Looking, and if you know your quantum physics, it's like looking affects. There's no such thing as a looking, as an attentiveness that does not affect what's going on. So as I'm looking, the thing is changing in response to what's with my looking, the quality of my looking, by virtue of my looking. If I, can, if I can notice that changing, and some of it might be quite subtle, that's noticing a, a dynamic, noticing a dynamism. And that also tends to um, unlock some. So cha- how it changes as I notice uh, what's going on. But when all that's there, the energy of the attention rises and the whole experience be- begins to come alive. What felt like not interesting, not much going on, not worthy of my attention, begins to reveal its subtlety, its beauty, its uh, interestingness. So this third one, what I'm calling broadening of the awareness, broadening of mindfulness. And it's really a question, or it could be put in question form, what else is around? What else is going on? Because oftentimes, I see this so often working with people, something's going on and it might be difficult and I don't see, the person doesn't see what else is around it. What else? It's almost like the attention just gets vacuumed into the, the centerpiece of, of what feels compelling and I don't see what else is, is around. This is what one usage of the word mindfulness or this breadth of awareness. Can I include... Can I include in my awareness, actually, as much as possible, as much as possible of the whole field of experience in me and what is going on? Because oftentimes, I I really see this almost every day, almost every day, I I see it working with people, that uh, one overlooks something, uh, or things, usually a number of things, in the mix of what's going on that's extremely significant. We just overlook it, just don't, don't notice it or don't consider it relevant. Very easy to overlook and not to notice. And there's things going on sometimes right at the same time, wrapped up with what is going on, that either they're supporting the whole difficulty and we haven't noticed, or they're totally a treasure there. I'll go into both of these. They're totally a treasure there and we're, we're completely oblivious of it. It's right there, wrapped up in the difficulty. In, in the heat of the, of the emotion, again, the emotion was not one thing, it's more. In this list of eight principles, they overlap, so it's not strictly that they're separate. So especially in this third one, especially wanting to be interested in the reactions and the responses to the emotion. That's so, so crucial. What are the reactions and the responses that are in, re- in response to this emotion being there? There's always, there is always uh, a reaction, if not multiple reactions. There's always a relationship with what's going on. Always. There has to be. It's the nature of consciousness. 
You cannot have a thing going on without a relationship to it. So there's always something going on. There's always something there in the realm of reactions, responses. Sometimes it might be incredibly subtle, really, really subtle, but it's always there. Could be on the level of thoughts, beliefs, assumptions, could be in the body. And again, the body is so important, really emphasize that. Could be in terms of projections. Again, I project this thing, this has been here since I was da-da-da, this will be here da-da-da. There's a projection of the thing into the past and into the future. It's a movement of thought, it's a movement of assumption, a movement of belief perhaps, um, but that is part of the response, the reaction, it will have an effect. It cannot not have an effect. So I need, I really need to see what's there in the larger field of my experience. Some of it's not so obvious at first. And I also need to really see the effects that they have, those other factors. I really need to see. If I do that, I can begin to see what is perpetuating this. What is perpetuating this difficult emotion? That begins to reveal itself in this. And we could, if we make it just a very quick, it could be in the realm of assumptions and beliefs, particularly could be in the realm of self-views, views about myself, and could be in the realm of reaction energetics. You, you could say what we talked about last time in the talk on Vedana, uh, the relationship with resistance, aversion, etc. Those three are not separate. <laughs> So once I begin to do that, as I begin to do that, I can actually <clears throat> then begin questioning more deeply and more forcefully and more helpfully, and particularly questioning a lot of these assumptions. So I don't want to be locked into my assumptions. It's, it's really not helpful to be locked into my assumptions. Uh, because that locking into assumptions will decrease the dynamism and, and it, there will be a stuckness. So very often something comes up and it, it's just it seems obvious to us. It's this. It's this. I know what it is. I know what it is. I know what it is. It's this. Maybe I'm not even thinking I know what it is or I'm not even thinking it's this but it's just there's, there's a, a sort of attitude that we know and we're not questioning the assumptions. So I'm really talking about practice. I'm, I'm aware that it might sound abstract so far but I really want to talk about practice. Uh, and all this is a practice. It will only be of value uh, at all, at all, to the degree that we bring it into practice. Apart from that, it's completely meaningless. Any any talk is only has only a value to the extent that we practice what's in it. So a little while ago, someone came in for an interview and uh, said, reported, <coughs> amongst lots of other stuff, said, there's a lot of ranting going on in the meditation. A lot of, and I explore what you mean, you know, and there's a lot, well, there's a lot of angry voice going in. There's a lot of telling people uh, what they should do. So that's interesting. The immediate sense of, well, this is a problem, this shouldn't be here. Typically, you know, a typical Dharma response would be, uh, one of the typical, there's many options, but one of them would be, okay, that sounds like a hindrance is going on. It sounds like there's a version going on. That's the second hindrance. Um... Maybe there's some restlessness involved with it as well. 
Can you see it as a hindrance? This would be the typical. Can you see it as a hindrance? Can you see that the hindrance is giving rise to papancha and we're really getting involved in the stories. This person should do that and they should do this and wait till I get home and tell the other one about da-da-da. It's gone to the level of papancha now. It's not just the hindrance. It's like it's hooked into the papancha. So what really helps in this more typical mode is to really see it. No, this is a hindrance. I know that. This is a hindrance and see it that way. And then then I can have a chance, I can disbelieve it. I can choose to unhook some of the believing power, which makes it more of a problem. And go to the body, and how does this feel in the body, this, this uh, ranting, this agitation? I can then drop some of the content, etc. Okay, so that's typical, that's one way. But sometimes, especially for an experienced practitioner, we just assume, oh, that's a hindrance, that's, a, that's this, whatever. Maybe that doesn't allow a fuller investigation of some of the more psychological aspects of what's going on. So in this case, I'd just ask this person a question. Or you, you know, if you were practicing on your own, it's like you could ask yourself a question. What would the question be? In this case, I happen to ask, do you feel that you're taking your voice in your life? Do you feel that you're allowing your voice? Is your voice allowed? Are you free to express yourself? Are you feeling heard in your life? This is a different approach. A different approach. Are you feeling heard? It may be that there are some important insights uh, and important openings here that come through, through that, actually asking. It may be uh, that if we just stay, for instance, at the level of sensations, okay, it's aversion, how do I feel it in the body, it's restlessness, I feel it in the body, it's just that hindrance, that actually doesn't um, lead to a sort of fully rounded and psychologically so deep understanding. I remember many years ago, <clears throat> I lived in the States, and I was involved in a very complex relationship with a person of authority <laughs> a person of authority faith doesn't like me to um, person of authority and um, over a long period of time it was an enormously helpful relationship for me I really grew a lot in it and it had a lot of stuff as time went on I began to realize a lot of stuff that was not healthy in it and one of the aspects was that I had lost my voice in, in, in many respects I had lost my voice in relationship to this person of authority and at some point I sort of woke up to what was not healthy and I, I ended the, 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 that form of the relationship, the relationship with that person. And a little while later, not, not that long later, I was with a um, meditation teacher and um, talking and, and saying something similar to what I'm with this person. Oh, there's a lot of this just sort of ranting at this person. And my, my immediate view was, well, this is... Um, you know, this is a problem, it's thought, meditation, I'm not supposed to think, I'm supposed to get rid of that and get as calm as I can, etc. And she, and she said, you know, maybe you need to learn to listen to yourself and listen to what you have to say and actually start listening to the content of that. Is this working now? Have I broken it? No. Um, actually start listening to the content. That was really it was a completely unexpected response that she gave. Actually, listen to the content. You're getting your voice back, and it was really true because I had a lot to say, 
a lot of insight, a lot of uh, breaking free of a lot of the structures of the kind of teaching, etc., that I'd been given. And it was through my own internal kind of ranting and voice that that became free. And in a way, one was reaccessing one's own power, one's own freedom of, of, of exploration, etc. So not always assuming it's, it's uh, a hindrance or what we call a kilesa, it's, it's the movement of something unskillful like greed, aversion, or, or ignorance. Is there a movement of being here? Is there uh, a need a desire that's actually helpful. It's actually helpful to acknowledge, to feel, to allow, that might not only be helpful but necessary. Necessary. So this is complex. Now this is complex. And sometimes there really is, in those examples, there really is. And there was for me. Other times, other times, uh, what's happened is, is almost the opposite. A person feels this ranting and a kind of demanding. And sometimes people can get stuck for years demanding this or that of the world, demanding that they be given this or that, demanding that X or Y gets done for them. Not questioning that. So sometimes we don't give this, this movement enough uh, space, enough exploration, sometimes we give it too much voice, too much authority. And a person can be stuck in that and resistant to seeing it in any other way. Complex, all this is complex, needs investigation. <clears throat> Small, different example, but along these same lines, we're still in the questioning that... The, with the mindfulness, with the differentiation, with the sensitivity, allows questioning and the questioning of assumptions. A small example. <clears throat> a few weeks ago, I was feeling uh, quite low energy physically. And I'd been a little bit ill and uh, not slept very well. Had got very little sleep. And so with that lowness of physical energy, there was a lowness of the emotional energy. And with that, there was a kind of a feeling of sort of like sadness. It was a sort of sort of like sadness around. And I was, I was with it, and I was exploring it. I was like, "Is this what's this about? What's this about? What am I sad about? Is it is it that I'm sad about something? Is it sadness? What is it?" Because the truth is, sometimes we feel something like sadness, and sometimes it's about something, and sometimes it's not about something. It's just not about anything. Emotions, we said right at the beginning, are dependent. They're dependent arisings. They depend on a lot of different things. They depend on our body energy as well, as one of the factors. So when the body energy is low, the emotional energy is low, and emotions like sadness or irritability or depression, it's the perfect soil for them. And if I'm not careful, it can get blown up into something that it's really not about. An emotion is a dependent arising. If I judge it for being there, this irritability, this depression, this sadness shouldn't be there, then I'm starting to build something. If I immediately just come in and say, must be about something, and just stick it, find an issue, oh, let's look, find an issue, stick it, stick it on the issue, is that really real? Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But that's just kind of artificial and creating of papancha. 
and actually dukkha. So there'll be some suffering there. So I was with it and feeling very tired and not, not well physically, etc. And, and then this, this curious feeling around. It was quite subtle. And I said, I'll go for a bike ride. And I went for a bike ride. And at some point, it was a beautiful day. It was really, really one of those still, sunny, gorgeous days, late afternoon, before the clocks had changed. And I got off in, in a lane, it's a lovely place near, near here, where I sometimes just get off my bike, and I, and I sometimes walk when I feel a bit more contemplative, and I walk with my bike. And the light was so beautiful, and there was such a quietness there in the lane. I was the only person around, and, 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 and there's such a sense of peace began to come just just such a sense of peace imbuing everything and the heart felt really touched and sort of there was a real sense of blessing there blessing this thing that was sort of sadness actually was morphing it was morphing it was opening and unfolding its dynamism was unfolding and it was actually turning into something very different well different no denial there, no disconnection. I was perfectly prepared to see that maybe there's something I'm sad about. With, with the process, investigating it, bringing the sensitivity in open. It was honest, it was alive, it was open. Things are dynamic, things are dependent arisings, especially emotions. And then the things can unfold. And oftentimes what happens, to repeat what I've already said, when things unfold, when the dynamism is unblocked, is... Actually, sometimes, oftentimes, it will move towards more tenderness, um, more beautiful qualities of heart and perception and ways of seeing our existence begin to manifest in the unblocking of what has become stuck. More beautiful qualities of heart and perception and the very seeing of existence. And that's exactly what happened in this instance. I mean, it's quite a small example. It wasn't... You know, as a, it wasn't that amazing or anything, but it was it was actually very beautiful and in quite a subtle way, not that big deal. But and there was the, the thing that came for me was it, it was a sense of walking in the lane and this thing just morphing and then looking around me and everything and really then feeling like I was walking in this space of really hard to describe somehow the sense of being very inseparable inseparably partaking very deeply, drinking, being part of very deeply a kind of endless blessing, the endless blessedness of existence. It was a real tenderness in that. It wasn't really that big a deal, really, and I just throw it out as an example. But with... If I, you know, if I if I take away some of these assumptions, I let the thing have its dynamism. I let it unfold. I question. I probe. I'm not locking it into place. Um, generally, the dukkha gets less. The exploration, the exploration of our life, the journey of our life, uh, the sensitivities of our life, of our being, they they further themselves. They unfold. They get deeper. They, we discover new sensitivities, new unfoldments, new dimensions of the being, new territories. Sometimes that's big and dramatic and amazing, and a person is like, wow, and I'll give some examples. And sometimes, like this example, it's not, you know, I have plenty of experience, it's not, it wasn't that big a deal, but it was beautiful, and it was, in, in some particular way, it was quite new. But that, that was a little bit new as an unfoldment.
It's a lot of stuff, isn't it? I, I won't finish it in one talk. Okay, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll just do the next one. I'll finish number four and I'll do number five and we'll call it a day. What time did I start, for heaven's sake? 11.20, okay. <clears throat> Is that okay, one more, or you, you've really had enough? It's okay, all right. So let's finish number four, because it's about questioning. Um, I said another area to question is the self-view. And oftentimes this whole thing is, is being compacted into place by the self-view. I am like this. This is how I am. Or this is here because I'm da-da-da-da-da. Because I'm fill it in. Usually it's not very flattering. Uh, oftentimes that's hidden. The self-view is hidden. The, even the thought that this is here because I'm da-da-da-da-da is hidden. It's here because it's my fault, because I'm like this. And that view is hidden. Uh, or the fact that this is here means I'm something or other. So knowing what the self-view is that's operating and really questioning it, is it really true? Is it really true? <clears throat> So there's other aspects of, uh, oftentimes I notice with people, they'll discover something in their, in their inner mindfulness, in their inquiry. For instance, this is here, oh, and there's fear underneath it. And then, for instance, they don't keep going with the questioning. A person doesn't keep going, and it's just like, oh, it's fear. Oh, okay, there's fear. And doesn't ask, well, why is, it? Why is this fear? Does this fear need to be here? What's it about? So keeping the questioning probe, keeping it probing. Is there an end to the questioning? When the questioning ends, the dynamism ends. And something will lock, generally. Okay, number five is really by virtue of an example, and it's really a summary of what's come up till now. But I, w- I will say something like putting into words number five is exploring uh, the aspects uh, of what's going on that were revealed by the mindfulness and exploring them more fully. And I just I will explain this by an example. Uh, and notice particularly uh, a, a lot of this very particular. So there's quite a lot of really specific stuff. It's quite a complex some really specific stuff I really want to draw out the specificity and particularly again how relevant the body is in the investigation uh, how re- relevant the body is to unlock the dynamism so because sometimes what happens is we see a pattern we know it's going on oh this is such a pattern I know it I've seen it before maybe I know this is going on And I can even know, I know its roots in my personal story. I know its history. I can look back at my family, my early childhood. I know where it's come from. I see the pattern. I'm aware of it. I see its roots in the story. It's not enough. Sometimes. So recently, well, some time ago, someone was in an interview and was just starting a new romance new, uh, quite unexpected, and uh, very delightful for her in in lots of ways, Uh, particularly in the sense of 
not so much that I want this, it's like a grasping sometimes that can come in in, 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 in the romantic relationship. It was more like a sentiment, not that that wasn't there, but that wasn't so strong. What was more there was a kind of uh, acknowledgement of how heart-opening this was, this, this new initial period of a romance, how, how, how the qualities of heart were really opening. And at the same time as there was some degree of opening, she was really conscious that she wasn't letting herself feel the fullness of that opening, the, the loveliness of it, the pleasure of it, the excitement of it fully. A lot of stuff, it was kind of clamped around. She was locking it quite tightly in some respects. And she said, because she was on the lookout, expecting something bad to happen, expecting bad stuff to happen. She said, it's kind of like, when there's something good happens, the universe has this way of balancing it out by bringing some bad stuff. And then we were exploring that, and she said, because, you know, my mom did have really bad stuff happen, and really bad stuff happened very suddenly. And we, as children, uh, saw her go through that, felt all the trauma of that for her, and absorbed it. We absorbed it from her. Okay, yes, there's really some truth in that. There really is some truth in that. But I asked her, what's emotionally underneath that? underneath that what's emotionally underneath it didn't take a lot of looking fear and anxiety are there underneath fear and anxiety are there and then I kept pushing with the questions what is that fear and anxiety doing what's it serving so what I want to highlight here is the process of questioning the specificity the probing and the ways of probing what's emotionally underneath that and then fear and anxiety, what's it doing, what's it serving? And then that question, reflection and being with it, began to realize there's a belief operating. There's a belief operating. What's the belief? If The belief was, if I'm on the lookout for something terrible when I feel good, I'll preempt it. And it won't be as bad as it would have otherwise. I'll be more protected. Okay? And again, a person can recognize that and very easily just move on. Or, or So I said, can you speak that out? Speak it clearly into the space. Say it. Drop it. Put it out there into the space. Say it. Very clear. Let it hang in the space. In this case, the space between us, but it could be the inner inner space. Say it clearly. Think it clearly. See it clearly. Let it hang there. Listen to it clearly. Okay, so that's another part in terms of specificity. And then, because I've done that, then I'm able to see more clearly the next probing. What response comes from the being when you see that, when you hear that, when you let that hang there in the space? You've heard yourself say that. You've heard that that's there let it hang there, then what's the heart's response? What's the being's response to it? So there's, there's another questioning, another kind of thread of the inquiry, another sensitivity of the mindfulness. And the first thing that came for her, when she looked, was sadness. Sadness. And then again, can you feel that sadness? 
It's not just, oh, I know sadness is here. Can you feel it? Can you go into it? Hold it, be with it, explore it. And it is sad. It is sad. There is sadness in that. That one is cramping one's joy, one is cutting off from one's flow, one's closing down in a certain sense. That's sad. Undeniably that's sad. And she was with that. And I asked, what else is there in the being's response to this? And then it was, no, I won't. I won't. I won't, do, I won't have this reaction. I won't clamp down like that. It was a kind of rebelliousness in, in response to her, her response, her reaction. But very important again, can you feel that in the body? Really, really feel this no, I won't in the body. Very easy, very easy to just kind of acknowledge it as, oh, there's a thought of no, I won't, or whatever. So first, first, and in this case it was, first, just a thought, it's just a thought, no, I won't. Really trying to keep her in the body, stay with that, explore it. But then began to notice, she was sitting in an armchair, maybe I pointed out, I can't remember, but noticing her hands had become fists with the no, I won't. A small thing, but there's some bodily reflection of the thought, no, I won't. I need to feel that, acknowledge it, feel the fist. And the fist light, lightly kind of slammed on the armchair uh, side, whatever it's called, hand rest. Can I let that bodily feeling fill out? This is really important. Can I let that, that kind of response, it's a response of reclaiming my power and my strength, can I let it fill out and fill the space of the body and space of the being? Give it space. Can I give it space? Can you, can you give it space? And then what happened in this, in this instance, and all is very normal, very normal. If if I follow, if I pick up the threads, if I'm alive to it, if there's that sensitivity in the question, what happens then? Not just the hands, but goes right there into the belly, right into the belly, and then the whole body. And what what came with that? A palpable feeling of strength in that moment, real strength. So it had gone from this sense of c- cramped constriction, sadness, etc. Et you know, uh, the sadness of all that. And the whole thing was un- unlocking its dynamism, was, was morphing right there in the moment. Strength, an experience of strength, an experience of spaciousness, an experience of openness, an experience of happiness, all there together as a new mix, as a new mix. And again, going back to the first principle, can I then differentiate those qualities? Really feel, really feel. But that whole mix, strength, spaciousness, openness, happiness, that's a whole different sense come. A whole different perception and view of things opened and was accessible in the being with that new mix. And really feeling that in the body allows it to go deeper. Allows it to go deeper and get integrated more deeply in the body. And allows it to become that new feeling, that new sense of being, that new sense of perception of me and my life, allows that to become more accessible in the future as a different way of being. Allows it to become something new that's open for me. It's a new territory, a new space that's open for me to walk into and inhabit. A different way of being.
That was for her unexpected, very unexpected, very new, uh, unknown. It was exciting, it was a real discovery. Just pick out one more thread of that before I end. In that new mix, the body sense felt very different. And it's really, again, body, body, body. It's so important. Can you feel your way in to really inhabiting that new body sense? The whole body feels very different. When the body feels different, the self feels different. Okay? Self also is dependent arising. One of the things that the sense of self is dependent on is how the body feels. When, when we feel cramped, and the emotions are cramped because I'm afraid of enjoying, you know, enjoying the beauty of this opening because the universe will balance out and the whole thing gets cramped, etc. The body gets cramped and the sense of self gets cramped. Cramped and locked into certain orbits and, and tight, etc. If I can really feel and really allow and really tune into and experience this different body sense then that will bring with it a different sense of self. My very self feels different. It's like I'm a new personality. Stronger in this case. More open in this case. And then that begs a question. Who am I? Who am I when this is here? This that's unfamiliar. Who am I now? It's very different than the I that I'm used to. It's a very different experience of myself. Really, can I inhabit that new sense of self, that uh, we could say wider, more expansive sense of self? In a way, in a very real way, that's a truer sense of self. It's a more authentic sense of self. So I'm not necessarily saying that's the end of the path at all, or that's a final, ultimate truth. I'm I'm not saying that. But again, especially Dharma practitioners, might be very easy to dismiss, too quick to dismiss, oh, it's just another sense of self. Shouldn't identify with self-views. It's just another identity. Don't identify with this. But maybe there's something there to actually really fully inhabit and actually put on, like we put on clothes, inhabit that identity for a while. Feel that feel out. There might be a lot of healing there, a lot of... Uh, the, the, the healing of the unfolding of the expansion of the dynamism. Basta, huh? Okay. So, let's call that part one. And uh, Either on this retreat or some other time we'll do some other stuff. Let's have a bit of quiet together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.